Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. Following the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from the Great White North and his studio beneath the stairs. Here's Richard. Thanks for inviting me into your home. Your long-haul truck, RV, camper, taxi. Your parents' well-appointed basement with the simulated wood paneling, electric fireplace, and the painting of dogs playing poker. Your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. Ryan White is my live stream producer, and uh, Carlos Cagina is my technical producer. Speaking of the live stream, be sure to check out my YouTube and Rumble channels, Strange Planet. All right, this hour... Gregory L. Little stays with us, co-author, along with Andrew Collins of Origins of the Gods, Kesem Cave, Skinwalkers, and Contact with Transdimensional Intelligences. So, uh, we were going to uh, lead off this hour and talk about uh, the great skeptic, Carl Sagan, right. and uh, his, his belief about uh, you know the ancient alien uh, theory that uh, they, uh, they had interacted with ancient civilizations many, 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 many millennia ago. Yeah, a lot of people refuse to believe that Carl Sagan believed in ancient aliens. Carl Sagan is considered to be the greatest skeptic of all time, uh, respected by everyone, believers, non-believers, everybody like Carl Sagan. Uh, and in 1963, Carl Sagan published an article in the journal Space and Science uh, and it is a peer-reviewed journal. And in that journal article, he calculated the odds of other civilizations existing in our galaxy. And there are lots of them, certainly. Uh, I noticed this week there was a guy that calculated that there were four malevolent civilizations in the galaxy that we really didn't want to interact with. Uh, but anyway, uh, Carl Sagan said that there's definitely loads of them that are much older than us, much more advanced than us, and said it is just uh, obvious that they have to have observed Earth. And he, in his last bit of that article, he did a calculation. And in that calculation, he said that starting around two million years ago or so, starting around two million years ago, they would have begun visiting us. And up to the present day, they would have visited probably in the order of 10,000 times, 10,000 visits, starting 2 million years ago. And he said that 2 million years ago, they wouldn't have been that interested. Humans had not developed very much. Uh, he didn't say that they would be, that the same people were coming back and forth for 2 million years, but they were monitoring us definitely and watching what was happening on Earth. And if you divide 2 million by 10,000, you're looking at a visit every 200 years or so. That's basically the average. But he said that starting around at the end of the last ice age, 20,000 years ago or so, they would have started visiting a lot more often. And, and in the article, at the end of the article, he said that he believed that archaeologists should begin looking in the area of ancient Sumeria and look around Baalbek and those areas for evidence that ancient aliens had actually been here. And that is astonishing. I've had people say, no, it can't be. 
It can't be that Carl Sagan said that, but he did. Now, what's paradoxical in this, and I'm the same way uh, as this, what's paradoxical is that Sagan was immediately asked, so you believe modern UFOs are these aliens? And his answer is no. He didn't believe any of its aliens. (laughs) It sounds almost crazy, but it's not. Uh, What Sagan said is that they're not coming here every day. I mean, how many UFO reports are made on the average of every day? People are seeing dozens, dozens, perhaps dozens. Probably if you go worldwide, it's more than dozens. I mean, there's there's seven and a half billion people on this earth. Uh, There are people on the on in some areas that are outside at night quite a bit and they don't have electric lights, that many lights, and they're seeing it all the time. Uh, But there are lots of them. Uh, There are millions of UFO reports made every year. We also know that 95, at least 95 percent of those are something that can be explained. They're either aircraft that are looked at strangely or weather phenomena uh, could be uh, experimental craft or some sort of meteorological phenomena. Uh, So Sagan believed that he thought that's what most of it was. As far as things like the contactees and the abductees, Uh, He was a little more cautious with that. He knew something was going on with it, just like Carl Jung, the great psychologist Carl Jung did, that something really is going on here, but it is not what it appears to be. Whatever it is, it's very deceptive. It's not showing us what it really is. And that's the same thing that Sagan said. And it was, I don't know if it was his last book. It was called Demon Haunted Universe. Uh, Sagan knew that there was something very strange going on, and he believed that the paranormal should be looked at. Of course, he thought that the paranormal, everything in it eventually could be explained by physics, that if physics went far enough, it was all eventually explainable. And I do too. I think it's all explainable. So we have three possibly separate things, somehow connected possibly. We've got got lights in the sky. We've got ancient aliens and visitations. And then we have these trans-dimensionals that, that uh, indigenous people have communicated with. Yeah. Um, that's, that's very good. You're the, I've talked to a lot of people. Uh, you're the only one that I've talked to yet that really picked up that we're, we're really trying to. It's like the puzzle. It's the jigsaw puzzle. You're looking at the different pieces of the jigsaw puzzle. That uh, i got to commend you on that. Go ahead. All right. So, I mean, how... How are they connected or are we just not there yet? Now, well, we're not quite to the end of all this. Let me give you one more piece of the puzzle then. One that just has got to sound like it's coming out of the blue. What, what's the Navy saying? What is the Navy saying? Yeah, what's the Navy seeing well, the- in all these videos with the Tic Tacs and with, uh, I know that some of these are drones that they're looking at. That's pretty much been demonstrated. But some of this doesn't appear to be, anything uh, that we have or anything that we know about, what are they saying? Well, I'll just, I'll refer back to the recent testimony uh, on May 17th with the uh, deputy director of the, the uh, office of Naval intelligence, Scott Bray, I think his name yeah. is. And he kind of created five bins. Yeah. Uh, you know, there was uh, the, the um, space clutter, I guess is one. He talked about meteorological effects. Uh, he talked about perhaps, uh, technology belonging to our adversaries. That's three. Four would be experimental craft of, uh, you know, made in the good old USA. Uh, and then number five was this, you know, unknown um, phenomenon. Uh, phenomenon bin. 
Yeah. So pick your pick one of the five, I guess. Well, back in 2006, when the uh, Ministry of Defense of the UK issued a paper called the Condine Report, spelled C-O-N-D-I-G-N, when they when they issued the Condine Report, they said that all these inexplicable things were caused by plasmas, dusty plasmas and exotic plasmas. And the term exotic simply means that uh, it's something they don't understand. The idea of a dusty plasma is a different thing. So let me go ahead and define plasma because I haven't even got to the Tic Tac shit uh, and all that. So the dusty plasma, what a plasma is, it's the fourth state of matter. We have solids, liquids, gases. The fourth state of matter is plasmas. Back in the 60s, plasmas were very poorly understood. All they knew is that it's superheated ball of gas. That's That's what they call it, a superheated ball of gas, but it's far more than that. It is a it is a formation that is in fact superheated absolutely, but when a plasma forms, it becomes electromagnetic. It has a north pole and a south pole. It usually spins. It sometimes flattens out. Uh, it creates a shell around it, literally a shell, almost like a cell wall is in a human cell in our body. It forms a a wall on the exterior. A dusty plasma, because it's electromagnetic in nature, it begins to pull in dust, cosmic cosmic dust, physical dust that's in the atmosphere. It pulls in as much as it can, and it's already got air in there. So it is something that's physical. It begins to rip all the electrons out of whatever the atoms are there, and the electrons start bouncing into each other, but they're encapsulated in this wall, in this electromagnetic wall. As long as the thing has energy coming to it, it can sustain itself. And some of them last quite a while. Sounds like Uh, a tornado. Almost, yeah. So the Condine Report, which which the Freedom of Information Act got it released in 2006, it says point blank that these are plasmas, that what is being seen are plasmas, that yes, they can be dangerous. Also, that people that get too close to these plasmas have neurological effects, lots of neurological effects. And up there in Canada at Laurentian University, there was a professor who I interacted with for many, many years. I'm, I live in Memphis, Tennessee. He actually got his degrees at the University of Tennessee. His name was Michael Persinger at Laurentian University, created the God Helmet. That's what he's right. best known for. Persinger did research starting in the 70s, the same time that I started doing research. We were both both basically the same age. Uh, in fact, he referenced some of my work. I referenced tons of his, and we interacted a few times because we had a very similar idea. Uh, Persinger believed that uh, UFOs were electromagnetic forms and that people were interacting with it neurologically, that when you get close to it, the electromagnetic field influences your brain chemistry, which the brain is, uh, it's biochemical, but it's a, a electrochemical interactions going on. And magnetic fields do, in fact, influence it. So that was Persinger's idea. Persinger never thought that the plasma fields were alive, uh, that they had intelligence or anything like that. Uh, but Persinger- are we viewing them that interaction then? Are we imbuing them with intelligence? Well, that's an interesting idea. Uh, that is what uh, psychic projection might say that we're doing. Almost sounds like a poltergeist activity. We are interacting with them and we are 
uh, determining the direction of the experience often, uh, but we aren't creating them per se. We're not doing that. Herzinger was quite an interesting fellow. Um, some of the research that he did has resulted in, I don't, I can't, well, they're weapons, weapons research. That's the best way to put it. Uh, for example, Persinger in his lab created a electromagnetic, really, it's like a little tiny ball of energy that could literally put words in people's heads. You could beam words into someone's head. He would have undergraduate students sit in a laboratory, basically a Faraday cage where it's copper encased. Uh, so there'd be no outside influence from the outside electromagnetic fields. And he could force people to make choices. He put them in an experimental test where they had to make a series of choices. He could have them make the choice he wanted by simply beaming in very specific electromagnetic fields. He could have them hear words. Well, the military has created a device that can beam. It's over, it goes over a mile. You can't see it. Uh, it is a, they use lasers. People always think of a laser having a visible light beam coming out. Well, it's only because they're using the visible part of the electromagnetic spectrum with that particular laser. You can have lasers that have no visible light coming out at all, but they're using other frequencies in the electromagnetic field. So uh, they have this device that they can literally aim at somebody miles away and the person will hear words in their head speaking to them, words speaking to them. Voice the to same, skull technology. Which is what? Voice to skull technology. This is something uh, Well, that, uh, yeah, you know, that's something schizophrenics uh, have been reporting for years, that they hear voices in their head. Or so-called targeted individuals who think. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So that, this and Persinger did, I think what he developed that in the 1980s. Persinger did a lot of these kinds of things. Well, Persinger also had people in this same Faraday cage that had UFO experiences. They're just they're sitting in a comfortable reclining chair. They have a UFO experience. This was even before the God helmet that, that he developed. Uh, the God helmet, he got much more specific. He could focus on really finite areas of the brain. Uh, to create different experiences. So we know there's an interaction going on here. So the military, and I tell in the book, I tell the story that I worked for the Office of Network Research for two years on a grant. Uh, and the grant was I traveled around the country to Navy bases, and I did testing on U.S. Navy pilots, uh, on helicopter pilots, uh, jet pilots, uh, and prop plane pilots, all three. Uh, did it for again two years. It was I was young at the time. I was twenty one years old when I started it, uh, and I was just a research assistant. Didn't even know what we were doing to tell you the truth. I'd go to these places. We'd go in. Uh, they would call in the pilots one after another. We'd put them in the Faraday cage. We'd hook up devices to them. Do this testing. The results went into a machine. We carried the machine with us. Uh, it was actually a cone that you held up to your head. Anyway. Um, uh, in going to the Office of Naval Research's uh, primary research facility in Pensacola, Florida, I interacted with some of their young people like me. They had a lot of young people. I was in graduate school in psychology at the time, uh, and they were in the Navy. And so we sat there while the big colonel who I was working for 
he was he was the head of Fort Knox's uh, research and uh, research facility. Uh, he went into the back to talk to the higher ups. I don't know. I don't know what anything went on there. So I stayed in the front, talked to all the young guys. And we started talking about the research that we were doing, which we call I wonder what if research. <laughs> and it is research that you do. And because you've gotten something you want to study, maybe a drug. That's what I was doing at the time. I was studying drugs in psychopharmacology. And I would tell them, yeah, we got this drug called uh, fencyclidine in. And I didn't know what in the world. They said the DEA sent it to us, to our lab and said, do some research on this. So I injected a rat with it, put the rat on my desk and just went back to doing whatever I was doing and watched the rat fall over and run around the circle. That's true. That's a true story. And that's, I wonder what if research, the very first thing, I wonder what will happen if I inject this rat with a small dose of PCP. That's what it is. Fencyclidine's PCP. So they started telling me about their I wonder what if research. And they do a lot of I wonder what if research. And then a few years later, it was more than a few years. It was 1989, I believe. Uh, my wife and I went to Pensacola, Florida to look at the Gulf Breeze UFO, the Gulf Breeze light, which we saw. It had appeared, we saw it the 10th straight night. Everybody that was there, there were 108 people in the park that watched this thing that night. And they said the crowd's actually a little smaller tonight because it was in the middle of the week. Uh, there had been four or 500 people there over the weekend, including film crews and so on. They knew what time the light was going to appear. It was like 9, 10 exactly. They said it's going to occur any minute. They pointed it. They knew the spot. They said right there is where it's going to occur. So it popped on. What was it? It was a it started out as a red light. It looked uh, about double the size that Venus would in the sky. And then close. I, I took a picture of it, but I was looking around and it was astonishing watching this. And then they said, now watch, it's going to pop. What it then did was it expanded its size about 10 times. It went from this round red light that dot in the sky that just a solid red dot about twice the size of Venus to about the size of the moon. And it was pure white, pure white. And they said, now watch it. It's going to flip off and it's going to get sparkles. And then it's like somebody turned a light switch off. All the interior white went out and all around the edges, it had little tiny white sparkles right around the edges that lasted three or four seconds. And then boom, it was gone. And I wrote this in a book that came out in 1990 uh, and repeated it in 94, said it in this new book. And I said that I was certain in looking around, the Office of Naval Research is doing a study here, wondering what, how people are going to react to seeing this object in the sky. I believe it's a plasma object that they were creating. I believe it comes directly from Michael Persinger's research. I believe Persinger was funded probably by... Uh, contracts, not necessarily directly from the military, but by other military contractors, because uh, he already had a lab set up, nothing wrong with it. Uh, I did military contract work myself through the University of Memphis, uh, like I said, when I was a graduate student. Uh, but I think the military has done lots and lots of research on this. And I think that's what the Tic Tacs are. So we've gone finally to the another piece of the jigsaw puzzle. So if you go to the internet and you look up Forbes, F-O-R-B-E-S, and look up 
Navy uh, decoy. Forbes Navy decoy patent. Those words. What you will see is Forbes magazine about a year and a half ago found that the U.S. Navy patented something very, very interesting. And I know we'll get to that. And people are going to love this. I, I know my listeners will love it. I'm not sure about the people at MUFON. <laughs> Whether they're love this. <laughs> well, there's something real too going on here. It's not that. Yeah, it's not all. Yeah, it's a True jigsaw enough. puzzle. True enough. Yeah. All right. Gregory Little stays with us, co-author of Origins of the Gods. Back with more in a minute. This is Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. Follow Richard on Twitter at Richard Serrett. For show information, visit the website strangeplanet.ca. A trusted sponsor of my show, GetTheTea.com, is having their summer sale. Hey guys, let's talk about Father's Day. What kind of gift would you like to give your dad? Why not think about a gift that would help his digestion? Remember, Life Change Tea is an amazing gentle cleanse that he can use daily for gut health. Who doesn't need that? I know I do. I drink it every day. It comes in three different flavors, natural, peppermint, and my favorite, pomegranate. You need to try it. The combination of 12 herbs just does a beautiful number on my insides. Right now, they're having their big summer sale. Buy three, get one free. That's right, buy three, get one free. Life Change Tea is not a fad. They've been around since 2007 helping thousands of people, and it's made right in the USA. It's easy to brew, keep it in your fridge, and you drink it daily. It's summertime, and I always want to have a big glass of iced tea. That's why I drink Life Change Tea. Buy now and get one month of tea for free. Go to getthetea.com forward slash Richard to order yours today. Use the code Richard10 to get an additional $10 off plus free shipping. That's over $50 in savings. Again, that's getthetea.com forward slash Richard and use the code Richard and the number 10, Richard10 for $10 more plus free shipping. Don't miss out. If you're a fan of this radio program and the Strange Planet podcast, why not show it off by wearing Strange Planet apparel or drinking from a Strange Planet mug? Check out all the great Strange Planet merch in my Strange Planet shop. Just go to the website strangeplanet.ca, strangeplanet.ca, and click on Shop in the menu. There's a huge selection of men's and women's t-shirts. You like crop circles or the Mayan calendar? Gotcha covered. Are you into the Anunnaki? Wait till you see these designs. My favorite right now, lions do not lose sleep over the opinions of sheep. And one of our best sellers right now, truth gets you crucified on the front and a passage from Matthew chapter 23 on the back. So many great t-shirt designs, I don't know where to begin. There's women's leggings and tote bags and of course, mugs. Great gifts for family and friends who listen and love this show. My Strange Planet shop. Visit today and often. Just go to strangeplanet.ca and check it out. Ladies and gentlemen, the captain has turned on the fasten seatbelt sign. We're now crossing a zone of turbulence. Please return your seats and food trays to their upright position and make sure your carry-on luggage is safely stowed. You're about to leave everything you know behind. This is Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. Strange Planet. Wow, I am enjoying this conversation with uh, Gregory Little, Origins of the Gods, co-authored along with uh, Andrew Collins. Plasma. Uh, it seems to me that, um, and I've had many conversations with a crop circle filmmaker named Patty Greer, and she talks a lot about plasma and, and the, the research of Lefty Levengood who talked about the role of plasma vortices in the formation of crop circles. Based on what you've uh, told me, I mean, does that 
make sense that plasma vortices could be involved in crop circle formation? Well, yes. The the early ones, uh, there was a fella, I wrote about uh, the, in a, the 1990 book, People of the Web, I had a chapter on crop circles since they started in the 80s. Uh, and I found out about them. Uh, I've been over there. Uh, Andrew Collins took me around to a lot of the places, took me to the place where they have, there's a, there's a, uh, there's canals in England and there is a, uh, right in the middle of where all the crop circles take place. Uh, there is a canal and a pub there, a tavern that has thousands of crop circle pictures. Uh, and we got to meet some of the, uh, alleged makers. Uh, when it very first started back in the 80s, I interacted with a fellow by the name of George Terence Meaden, who was the editor of the Journal of Meteorology. Uh, Meaden had studied them. And the early crop circles and the ones that you don't hear about today are fairly simple. They're pretty much a perfect circle. Sometimes they have an outer band, but they're, they're fairly simple. Sometimes there's three or four of them. They're in patterns like that. And I concluded, like Meaden did, that yes, those formations are probably made of plasma vortices or vortex of swirling energy. However, uh, based on what I learned through Andrew and through other people, some of the more complex forms are not made by plasma vortex. Uh, if you want to believe that aliens made them, that's fine. I'm talking to the listeners. If people really want to believe that, that's fine. I don't, you know, people can believe whatever they want. I'm giving mine here, basically, uh, giving my beliefs, and I respect others, too. Uh, but some, there are makers that have at least claimed to make them. Uh, if you go to the right places in England at the right time, you can uh, see some of these people uh, at some of these uh, s- specialized pubs. They'll, you'll have to have people point you to the right ones uh, where they come in and, and meet and so on and bring their photographs and, and post them. Uh, so, yeah, I think some of the formations of crop circles are made by plasma vortices. Absolutely. They do form naturally in nature. Uh, they form during earthquakes. Uh, pretty much right when the earthquake takes place. After an earthquake, you don't see them for a while because all of the strain, tectonic strain, tectonic strain is when uh, two big fractures are pushing together very hard. Just like I said earlier, take two crystals and rub them together. You're causing tectonic strain. When you push two crystals together, you're causing internal strain in it. That causes the release of electricity and ions and energy. Uh, So yeah, uh, but back, if you want to go back to the Tic Tacs and all that, so uh, that, that's where this is heading. So for the Tic Tac piece of it, again, if you Google or DuckDuckGo, whatever you use, Google Forbes, F-O-R-B-E-S, which is the name of a magazine, uh, and patent in U.S. Navy and uh, decoy, you will see the Navy has patented a couple, just a year and a half ago, patented a laser-based plasma generator that creates plasma formations in the air that are picked up by radar that can be seen on infrared that can move, you know, there's nobody in them. So it's kind of like pointing a flashlight around. If you look at the beam of a flashlight, you know, it looks like, oh, it's impossible angles. No, you're just moving around the light. Uh, there's nobody in there. But if you think there's somebody in there, yeah, a human being couldn't, couldn't 
couldn't live with that. It would crush and those G's, right? Yeah, you can't withstand. But there are no G's. There's uh, that. There are no G's here. It's simply moving, moving energy is what it is. So the Navy developed this thing, and what I really believe, this is my belief, and my belief only, is I believe that a lot of what has gone on here, it's not the Navy that is testing this out on themselves. The Navy has contractors, and it's dark money, uh, black ops. And I believe that there is uh, that they were testing and still are testing our radar systems to see how our new radar systems react to this, how our infrared and ultraviolet uh, gun sites interact with it and what they see and what the pilots see, what the pilots think about it, what the people in these ships think about it, how they interact with it. If they shot a missile at it, nobody's going to get hurt. They didn't have, you know, I don't think they were armed to begin with, uh, the Nimitz. I don't think the pilots were armed. No, they it might have it's been. a training exercise, I believe. Yeah, just a oh. training exercise. I think they were simply trying to see how they reacted. I don't think anybody on the ship knew anything about it. I think it was done surreptitiously by uh, a contractor who was uh, under contract to do it and see how see how they react. That's what I believe. So I think a lot of this stuff is our own technology that the military in general doesn't know about yet. And then that's a piece of the puzzle. It's one that's going to, you know, a lot of people will say that's absurd. It's not true. But just look up. Uh, Forbes magazine wrote an article about it. If you want to read about these, the other things I talked about, uh, about the la- there's a laser that they have that, again, you can't see the beam, but it causes an explosion on the skin from miles away. It's a weapon that is used from, and they, they can dial up the strength of it, either make it really powerful or less powerful. Right. That Some was of the speculated that that was used in the Gulf War or in the desert storm against the Iraqi uh, soldiers, I think. I'm, I'm sure that it was. Uh, they also have some that will make you throw up physically. There is a frequency. Persinger did a lot. Of, there's, a, there's an electromagnetic frequency that causes an area uh, in the brainstem to react and you physically throw up. You can't help it because it's, it's affecting that one area of the brain stem in the brain where you have the gag reflex and you literally throw up. And it was a battlefield weapon designed to throw out a huge beam of this because soldiers on the other side can't fight very well when they're throwing up. That's right. That's, and it's incredible how many of these weapons, the Navy, the Navy and the Army have these cool names like pickle. There's a pickle. There's a Skype. There's a scuffles. There's a skypel. I mean, all the, they're all acronyms for all these bizarre devices that they have, but they have loads of them now. There's a list of at least 10. If you want to read some really cool articles about them, right. look, look up, um, um, uh, it's mechanics, it's a mechanics, uh, mechanics magazines. I've, I popular have, mechanics, uh, popular yeah, mechanics. popular mechanics. You can read these in popular mechanics and also in Forbes magazine. Right. Put up non lethal weaponry. Yes. Which can be also lethal. They can dial it to make it lethal if necessary. Absolutely. All right. So, um, we're covering a lot of ground here and it's all absolutely fascinating. Uh, let's bring it back to, the ancient astronaut theory. You say that that the modern ancient astronaut theory actually began in the 1700s. Yes. Well, the first contactee, 
the first contactee uh, and the first person that I know of, the first individual that I know of who was told by the entities or the people from outer space that that talked to him for 28 years, (laughs) the people that talked to him told him that we've been doing this for all time that we've been coming here for all time and interacting with you people. And so that's the ancient astronaut theory. The ancient astronaut theory is that ancient astronauts came here and interacted with. So it it really started in 1743, 1743, long time ago. And it was a very famous scientist. His name is Emanuel Swedenborg, Emanuel Swedenborg. There is a society, Swedenborgian society. Swedenborg's uh, burial crypt is in Uppsala, Sweden, uh, in this national cathedral. It's incredible. You can read a lot about Swedenborg there. Very, he was a scientist. He was a nobleman. Uh, he was a mathematician, one of the most famous people in the world at the time. Uh, and he, I believe he was 56 years old when he started his interaction with him. And he was in England. He was in London. Uh, When Swedenborg traveled, he traveled alone. He didn't want people with him and he traveled secretly. And at the time he had just, he was an official with the Swedish government, but he went to England really to visit some friends. Uh, He enjoyed the company of ladies. Uh, That's one of the things that he did. And this is a lot of this information is in Swedenborg's own journal and in some of the books about him. But he went to England. He was eating in this tavern in a side room of a tavern and they knew him. They kept him isolated from everybody else. So he was alone in this side room in a tavern. And then he started eating. And then a man materialized in the chair right across from him in a corner. He was in a corner table. He was at a corner table and right in the corner chair, a man just physically materialized in front of him. And it frightened Swedenborg. And he looked at the man. And this is about as inauspicious as it gets. The man said, don't eat too much. <laughs> that was it. Was and this it, corroborated by any other witnesses? Or? No, there were, no, it was written down in his journal. All this is in Sw- Swedenborg kept a meticulous journal his entire life. Uh, and people don't know that the, his history of his early life, Swedenborg saw lights and entities in his early life. Uh, I mean, he w- he was literally haunted by lights appearing in his room. And that's why he went into science. Swedenborg was the most famous scientist in the world at the time. I mean, he was really. I wanted to understand what was happening to him. Absolutely. So anyway. Okay. okay. So, we'll, we'll just hold on that. Hey, hey, okay. Yep. Gregory, we'll uh, take another time out and uh, continue to talk about uh, the origins of the gods. Gregory Little, my guest. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. I call it the miracle molecule, carbon-60 or C60, for my good friends at C60Evo.com. And I take a tablespoon every morning. It delivers more than 172 times the power of vitamin C. C60 is a known antiviral, antioxidant, antibacterial, anti-inflammatory. It's a remedy that works. C60 Evo users consistently enjoy better sleep and wake up feeling refreshed. This alone is worth the cost of the bottle. I sleep like a baby. I have no aches or pains. Zero. I'm 58, and I don't have a gray hair on my head. Get your miracle in a bottle. C60 from C60Evo.com slash Richard hyphen Serrett. C60Evo.com slash Richard hyphen Serrett. Use the coupon code EVRS at checkout and save an additional 10%. This statement has not been evaluated by the FDA. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. If you have a medical concern, please contact your health care provider. 
It's time to redefine reality. This is Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. Gregory Little, co-author of Origins of the Gods, you were giving us this wonderful summation of the um, the creation story of uh, indigenous peoples. And this is leading us into uh, a discussion I had asked you about the role of plasma in yeah. communication with the uh, transdimensionals. So uh, carry on. Sure. Okay. So it was a necessity. The, the, the Native American shaman and the medicine people, which there were several different types of um, secret organizations within tribes, they still exist today. Uh, and they were tasked with interacting with these forces. Now, of course, there's, there are black magicians, or there are witches is what they would call them. Uh, and what the witches did is they interacted with the lower force powers. And it was usually to bring ill will upon someone. And once you did that, that was it. There was no returning to the higher level. So what Shaman did is Shaman learned uh, methods. This gets really complicated, but they learned a method to vibrate what I would call in the book, what I call in the book, a psychoid pull. And it's a pull that sticks through the earth and it physically points to the celestial north pull. Uh, and that when they did some of these rituals, they would physically get a, a pull and drive it into the ground that would point toward the North Pole Star. So they, they felt it a necessity to do this. When the shaman did some of these rituals, what they reported and what modern ones report is that there are physical manifestations absolute physical manifestations of spiritual entities that occur. Uh, There are different names for these entities, depending upon what tribe you interact with. They all have a slightly different name. Uh, The the Cheyenne called them the Mayan. Uh, They had some other ones that appeared too. Uh, They didn't say they were plasma forms, but they said they were pure energy, pure forming energy. And this, this kind of leads us to the question about plasma. How does plasma enter this? Well, for many years, uh, lots of scientists have studied the UFO field. Lots of them. And you won't read about much of that in the UFO literature. You have to really dig to find it. Uh, and the, the most uh, unpopular theory ever is that plasma formations were the source of a lot of UFO reports, as well as plasma formations were the source of a lot of abduction and contactee reports, as well as things that Native Americans interacted with. And that, that in fact, is what the bulk of the book is, trying to explain exactly what that means. Uh, and we haven't even defined what a plasma is. We'll get, back, we'll get to that shortly. Uh, But the Native Americans had to interact with it. If they didn't, what they said is these forces, these spiritual forces, come on their own. And because they're appearing on the face of the earth, remember, the earth is an interaction zone for the upper world and the lower world all at the same time. So it always comes. You can always be deceived by these things. On one hand, you can always be deceived. On the other hand, you can always be led to a spiritual truth. So think about that. Every single time we interact with it, one either good or bad is the possibility. 
And so the Native Americans that designed a ritualistic method, which they got from shaman in Siberia, that's actually demonstrated. We talk about that in the book, too, how that's been proven. And it goes back in Siberia, it goes back to at least 24, 30,000 years ago when they did this. So they tried to, to develop a way to ensure that these interactions that they had with these forms, whatever they are, these interactions were always beneficial to them rather than something that's negative. But here on the earth, when you interact with them, it can go either way. And it's up to you, up to the percipient, the person interacting with it, to determine which way it goes. So, in other words, they wanted to create more of a controlled setting. Is that the idea? Exactly. They believed they could control it. Exactly. And the formations that they made, the sacred sites they made, the way they made. I mean, very quickly, they would often make a circular enclosure. Uh, maybe the circle would enclose one to, in some cases, 50 acres. So you're talking about a big circle. When I say a circle, the circle is on flat land, but it has an outer wall of earth, perfect circle with an outer wall that could be 15, 16 to 20 feet in height, but no way in and out. And the reason they would do that is when they would do the rituals in the center of the circle, which would literally bring forth these spiritual entities that was done to confine the entity. If it had no way out, the entity could not get out. And it was it was to literally enclose it in that area, interact with it in that area. Almost There's, sounds like an Aleister Crowley binding ritual. That may be where Crowley got a lot of this from. Maybe he understood things that we uh, only now understand. All right. Another time out awaits. Gregory Little stays with us. Origins of the Gods, co-authored with uh, Andrew Collins. Forward by Eric Von Daniken. Back with more in a moment. It's time to redefine reality. This is Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. Absolutely fascinating. I, I'm particularly taken with the, the complexity of the uh, indigenous creation stories and uh, uh, now just realizing i feel like such a dope that these myths that are sort of uh held out as, and we assume that this is the sum all of their knowledge yet these were these were designed for the consumption of children which i guess would be the rest of us really meanwhile they have all of this incredibly complex arcane knowledge who instructed the shamans the indigenous uh, uh, people to create these things in order to facilitate communication well I'll tell you who they say instructed them. They say the entities did. It's just like the Zuni tribe uh, has. And the reason I focus, let me say why I focus so much on Native Americans. The Native American tribes, the ones in Canada, North America, South America, Central America, the Native American tribes are the only uh, indigenous people around the earth that we know of that pretty much were in isolation from other cultures for thousands of years. And in those thousands of years, they retained pretty much their, their pure belief system. So we know a lot more about Native American beliefs than we do, say, the people that built Stonehenge. Stonehenge, uh, we don't know anything about the people. I mean, we know very little. Uh, we know that they were using Stonehenge for astronomical observations and rituals, but that is about it. Uh, I don't know what else to say about Stonehenge than that. Uh, it's an incredible structure, but we don't know that much because that civilization, all that knowledge was lost. That was lost. Now, Native Americans 
in, in all three of the continents here, well, two continents, Central America te- is technically not a continent. So the two continents that are here, um, Native Americans staying in isolation that long and then being interacted with by the early ethnographers starting in the basically the 1600s and 1700s. Um, the stories that were told to those early ethnographers pretty much uh, are the ones that I'm talking about here. There are some more recent ones from the 1960s and 70s that I'm including here, but pretty much uh, starting in the 1970s, in the late 70s, a lot of this knowledge disappeared. You may be familiar, for example, with the so-called Sundance, yes. uh, that ritual, and the sacred arrows. I actually had the sacred arrows in our house, the Cheyenne sacred arrows that go back to 500 BC or so. Uh, I got to hold him. We had a shaman living in our house with his family for 30 days. This was back in the 1980s when I got a lot of this information. Uh, they had um, changed by their belief system. Their, their rituals had changed. The U.S. government literally outlawed a lot of their most sacred rituals. And what was left after they outlawed them were the sacred arrow rituals, and which is relatively new. It's not, it's not an ancient ritual. And the Sundance, which is not a truly ancient ritual. The Sundance was brought in to replace a ritual called the Massam Ceremony, which was outlawed by the U.S. government. They weren't allowed to do it anymore. And the Massam is the one where you really get a lot of this information from. Uh, it was done by the Plains tribes. Um, and it's, it's kind of sad. Uh, a lot of this information is really hard to get. There are tons of books you can go. Look up books on Native American mythology and legends, and you'll get all the children's stories. You'll read about spiders. You'll read about the wolf. You'll read about tricksters and all that. Uh, you'll read the creation stories. Not a single one of those is what I told you. If you want to read what I told you, you have to get the ethnographer books, which were not written for children or just people that had an interest in the legends. Uh, It's actually kind of sad to me, but on the other hand, it actually preserved a lot of their knowledge. Uh, Their their knowledge was preserved. But again, we don't know as much about other cultures. Gobekli Tepe, complete mystery. 10,000, you know, it's 12,000 years old. What they believe in? Well, they believed in building big buildings and they had a lot of animals carved in there. And they definitely thought those animals were important. And it it was a ritualistic spiritual site. That's about it. We don't know anything else. So what was the, 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 the intent in this communication? What knowledge, if any, was being transferred from, can I call them thought beings or what, what, what are we, these entities? Well, they're not thought beings uh, in, in that, unless you're thinking like psychic projection, which was a term that a couple of UFO people put out many years ago, where people would think about something and it would physically manifest. Right. That might be a thought being. Uh, these are entities that you are not creating, but you are interacting with. You are basically calling them to you. They are li- their rituals are literally calling these entities to appear. That's what the rituals are, are done. Now, the whole idea of plasmas, that we believe that plasmas are the energy that these beings use or these entities use to form themselves. And I'm not sure that I should even call them entities, plural. And in fact, I don't believe that there are multiple entities. I think it is one 
It is one very massive thing that interacts all over the place pretty much all the time. It's kind of like the Internet. Is the Internet a single entity or is it multiple entities or what what exactly is it? We all interact with this thing all the time, but it's all interconnected. Everything is connected was the all things are connected was the title of my first half of my book. And that's where I ended that all things are connected. And I use the internet as an example in it. The first book that I wrote about this particularly was called People of the Web. And I wrote it in 1990, right after the internet was was developed. And people said, oh, it's about the internet. And I said, no, it's about the web that Native Americans said. Native Americans have said everything is a web. It's an interconnected web. And it was made by a spider, which is also a trickster. Spider is both creation and a trickster at the same time. It creates beautiful stuff, but if you get ensnared by it, it can kill you. That's, that's the truth. It has good and has bad qualities. But the thing about a web is if you touch a spider web anywhere and you jiggle a little bit or you vibrate it a little, the entire thing vibrates. That vibration goes everywhere on the web. Sounds like and string theory. Exactly. And that's where Andrew went in the second half of the book. Exactly. Native Americans use that that idea about the web. They use that and said the whole thing, a spider, it's like a spider made it all and everything is connected. Everything, no matter what it is, we're all connected into a whole. We just don't know it's a whole. We can't perceive that it's a whole, although there are special conditions when you can. I call those things synchronicity. Carl Jung called it that. Uh, It's a special type of awareness. It doesn't last very long. And the truth is, we're not equipped to see all the connections of everything all the time. That would drive us mad. We We are built to have very limited awareness all the time. Focus on what's around us all the time uh, in order for survival. You can't survive if you don't focus. I've just got about a minute here before we break at the top of the hour. Gregory Little stays with us into the next hour as well. Origins of the Gods, co-authored by Andrew Collins. And so let's talk a little bit about, and then we'll continue after the uh, the break, obviously, about how human progress was affected by these communications with transdimensionals. Well, that is a that's another really good question. I believe that uh, one thing it did how how we were affected by it. That's why we started building all the sacred sites. That's why the pyramids were built. Uh, it's why Gobekli Tepe was built. It's why North America, all of North America, Canada, the United States, there's loads of mounds in Canada. There are loads of um, what are called medicine wheels, rock wheel formations in Canada. They're not as famous as the ones in the United States, but I'll bet in Canada they are. <clears throat> so they taught us or we learned a lot about these things through these interactions. Beyond that, uh, I think they taught us morals. That is what, that's what the Native Americans tell us, that reverence for uh, animals. They taught us understanding about planting and so on. And then we, Andrew and I do not, we don't negate the ancient aliens thing. We both believe that the earth had visitations from aliens, and the reason we believe that is because of Carl Sagan, the greatest skeptic of all time. Uh, and that might be a cool thing to start with when we come back. But we'll do uh, that. Yeah. All right. Stay with us. Gregory will. And again, Origins of the Gods. My name is Richard Serra. Don't go away. 
We've seen so many people making ridiculous money from crypto. But did you know it's easy for you to do the same? The Copy My Crypto membership site shows you the coins that the YouTuber James McMahon personally holds and allows you to copy him. You don't need to know a thing about crypto or how to invest as you simply do what he does. Let me tell you more about James. He runs the Crypto with James YouTube channel. Since March 2020, he's told his viewers to buy 26 crypto coins. Had you put in $100 into each one, it would now be worth over $53,000. So if you'd like to join the 1,300 members who copy James, then stop what you're doing and head over to copymycrypto.com forward slash dollar. You'll not only find proof of everything I've said, but listeners get full access for just $1. You can't find this offer anywhere else, but act fast because the offer ends soon. That's copymycrypto.com forward slash dollar. Don't take this offer lightly. He's the real deal. Go visit the site now. Have you subscribed to my newsletter yet? It's fast, easy, and absolutely free. Just go to my website, strangeplanet.ca, strangeplanet.ca, and then click on subscribe. All I need is your email address, and that's it. Then, once a month, you'll receive my newsletter, Inner Sanctum, in your email inbox. The Inner Sanctum contains a monthly brief, a column of my analysis of the news and opinions. There's a This Month in UFO or Conspiracy History, a look ahead to an upcoming episode of this radio program, a book club, my podcast pick of the month, a spotlight on a previous guest, and much more. Join the Strange Planet community by signing up for your free subscription to Inner Sanctum. Again, go to strangeplanet.ca, strangeplanet.ca, and click on subscribe. It's a strange planet. Read all about it.